Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. So welcome to week two of our series, Decluttered. So we are uh, talking about simplicity from the inside inside out. So it's not a kind of a typical series on just how to declutter and not buy so much stuff. Although it will have those implications, as we'll see today. Our emphasis for this series is on internal simplicity. Learning to think and behave and just be like Jesus in the world, which is Christian, Christian discipleship. And especially within a, <clears throat> a world in a culture that specifically cha- uh, champions the way of materialism, we have to be diligent in choosing simplicity as a way of life. So let's review last week, and then we'll get to our big idea for today. So we talked last week about the way John starts his gospel. The first words Jesus recorded in the gospel of John are the question, what do you want? And we talked about how John does history as theology. In fact, John's gospel towards the end has Jesus asking the apostle, Peter, do you love me? Remember this three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so John brackets the life of Jesus with the questions, what do you want and who do you love? What do you want and who do you love? Which is almost the same question. Our love is more than just something we think. It's more than just something we feel. It is how our desires are shaped to move us in a specific direction. So we might listen to what we feel, we might pay attention to what we think, but what motivates us to move in a direction like existential sharks, which we talked about last week, is our loves. <clears throat> and that's almost counterbalanced to what Rene Descartes said so many centuries ago, cogito ergo sum, which is, I think, therefore I am. And we talked about this last week, that he really distilled it down to thinking is what makes us human. And we said, no, we're more than just thinking things. We're more than just brains on a stick. We're more than just feeling things. We are ultimately loving things. And our loves are often shaped by repeated, repeated habits and training. We ended, we ended last week calling them liturgies. And a lot of our motivations and loves happen beneath the surface of our consciousness. <clears throat> we live in a certain way that we're sometimes just not even aware of. <clears throat> and that's true about so many things in life. So, so have you ever had that experience where you get to work, you, go, you get to school, or somewhere you go a lot, and you have the realization, I don't remember actually driving to this location. <laughs> have you ever just sort of realized, I don't, I don't remember getting here. I must have at some point driven my car, a huge metal object down the highway, but I cannot recall it. Because it's just become automatic and so much a part of your life. But do you remember when you were first learning how to drive? Remember how conscious you had to be? Like, I like to drive a standard, a stick shift car. And I have had the honor of teaching a couple people how to drive a standard car. And I have to think of it as an honor, or it can be very frustrating. Because it is, it is always really quite an experience. Because you forget how automatic it becomes for you. You don't have to be conscious of shifting. And you try to be kind and patient, but there always is this moment where you hit this wall of, why can't you just drive the car? Just put it in second gear. And then you realize, wait, that was me when I learned to drive standard. 
So many things in our lives start conscious and then become unconscious. Now here's the good and the bad of it. There are many things that we've been trained in that are anti-discipleship. They take us away from being more like Jesus. There are things about all of our lives that we've just been trained in because of our culture or because of our upbringing. And maybe they were conscious at first, but they have long since become unconscious. And they aren't really the way of Christ. But we just do them like we drive. And that's the bad news. But the good news is, if we have been trained in a certain way that is anti-discipleship, we can retrain our loves and our desires. With repetition and in a community that's supporting that, we can train some of that negative subconscious junk towards the way of Christ. That is what I think church is all about at its best. We are a community of discipleship. Last week, we, last week we also talked about uh, Jesus saying in John 5, very, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. We gave ourselves homework. The liturgy of we were going to take the first 10 minutes of our day and just meditate on this. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son. And we were going to begin the day by saying, Hey God, what, what are you doing today? What are you doing that you want me to partner with you in today? I know you love me. You got something good for me to do with this, with you today, so let's, let's do this. And we would begin the day with the mind of Christ. How have you done with your homework? Pretty good? I hope you, you're keeping this liturgy going and that it's making a practical difference. Because... <clears throat> Part of our liturgy that we're sometimes trained in religiously is come to church, listen, nod head, say good sermon, forget all about it. That can become part of our subconscious liturgy. So actually saying, oh no, wait, actually being a disciple of Jesus means I want to do some specific things to help train me in the way of Christ. And the church is just the pit stop where we kind of regroup for another week And fellowship groups are the reinforcement throughout the week where we talk about what we are learning as a church and encourage one another. Until we understand that this is what discipleship looks like, it's just easy to fall prey to the liturgy of Sunday's past, don't think about it again. So it's not too late to jump into the liturgy that we began last week. We got more homework for you today. We'll get to that before we're done. So last couple things before, uh, in regard to review of last week. We talked about this word, Liturgy, that we're using a lot in this series. Liturgia, literally meaning a work of the people. It is any effort or work that we accomplish together that we couldn't do by ourselves. That's liturgy. It's used in scripture as the work the church does together. We talked about liturgies of love. We said as a liturgy of love, it's a repeated practice that we do together that to help shape our hearts towards loving God and others well. And we're going to be very practical in this series in giving ourselves liturgies to help shape our hearts. Okay? All right, let's let's get into this. So, debt is a fascinating example of how we have participated in cultural liturgies. And I told you up front, this series is also for me, right? Right? Okay, so I'm not, I'm not trying to get at anybody. This is also for me. We are a culture where we have been trained in a liturgy of consumption, 
a culture of credit. And I understand there's a kind of credit that's an investment credit. It's a wise investment. You may have a mortgage on your home. Uh, you, you may have a mortgage, you know, or we have a mortgage on this facility. You may take out a loan for your business. There's a kind of credit that's an investment. But you know, on top of that, we burden ourselves with a kind of credit that's unnecessary in this culture, and it clutters us up. It actually just trains us in overconsumption. It's the kind of credit that just slowly seeps in, subconsciously. We pay with plastic, we carry it into the next month, and after a while we just feel the weight of it, and it clutters our soul. It's a kind of credit that has trained us to purchase things that we do not need and to live above our means. It is as though we are saying, God, whatever your provision is for me, and we all are at different levels of financial provision. I mean, everybody in our culture, compared to most of the world, is doing pretty well. But within the culture, within the context of our culture, some are upper class, some are middle class, lower middle class, some are really struggling. Wherever you're at, credit is our way of saying, God, your current provision for me is not enough. Therefore, I will do an end run around that in order to get more stuff that I can't afford. Now, what would it be like to just be satisfied with whatever level of provision God is offering us now and to be radically generous above that so that we don't just live within our means. We live below our means so that we can give more away. So let's open our Bibles and see what Jesus has to say about this. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19. says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus here is just being honest to how the universe is wired. And here's what I mean. Everything that you possess is one day going to be in a landfill. It does not matter how much you love on it or polish it or whether or not you name it. It doesn't matter if you wash it in the gentle cycle and don't put it in the dryer. Everything that you have is on its way to the junkyard. And if it's not on its way there, then the scripture says that Russ is going to get it, some weird animal is going to eat it, somebody's going to steal it, steal it from you. So he's just going, hey, listen, you can get this stuff if you want, but in the end, it's going to be trash. In the end, the nicest of gear, the most beautiful of cars, the most amazing homes end up being a place or something that nobody wants. Eventually, it's going to be junk. So the first car I owned was an 89 Volkswagen Golf. The hood wouldn't latch, um, so it wouldn't latch quite right, so I was always afraid that it was going to fly open while I was driving. Uh, the side of the car was mostly primer. It, it wasn't really a car that got the ladies. Um, thankfully, Katie didn't care about a nice car, but this car would backfire, sometimes in school zones. Um, kids would hit the ground and shimmy to the bushes. It was really just a bad car. But here's the thing about that car. At one time, that car was awesome. I never got in that car and was like, I am the man. I always went, please don't explode. I never wanted to roll down the window so people could see me. There was never any of that. But at one point, there was. At one point, somebody drove that thing off the lot with the windows down. Look at this thing. Woo! Yeah, everything you have will one day no longer be desirable. It's just a matter of time. Rust will get it. Random animal will eat it. Somebody will steal it from you. But in the end, it's all on its way to being buried somewhere. 
Here's the second part of that verse. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. And then here's the key verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This line fascinates me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it kind of seems backwards to me. Doesn't it? Shouldn't it be wherever your heart is, that's where you will invest your treasure? Wouldn't that make more sense? Why does Jesus, Jesus put it this way? Because your treasure is, in this context, somewhere you decide. Because he says, store it for yourself, right? He says that twice in this passage. He says, store it for yourself. You decide. You need to discern and decide where you start to put your treasure. Is it going to be in this world, or is it going to be in eternal things? It is a decision you can start making now in this world. You can start to invest your finances, your time, your attention, your material goods. You can begin to invest in what has eternal significance now. And as you are making this choice of where you're to invest your treasure, you will train your heart in that direction. You will create liturgies of investment, liturgies of care in eternal things by the choices you make. And you can train your ultimate love so that your heart will go there. This is good news for us. Because no matter how we've been trained away from Christ, we can begin to, in community, get the support and train ourselves to work towards Christ. So we can summarize what he's saying this way. He's, he's not saying, let your heart decide where your treasure goes. That's what I thought Jesus would say. He's saying, Decide where your treasure goes to move your heart there. We can actually train our love. Train our love towards the things that God loves, the people that God loves, the things of eternal significance. So I could ask you, do you love God? If I were to interview people at the church, I'd hope you'd say yes, right? But if a cultural anthropologist were to study your life, jot down observances, just based on how you live your life every day, would they say one of the primary characteristics of this particular person is a deep and profound love for God? Does your love for God actually seep into the liturgies of your life? And we kind of come prepackaged in our liturgies by how we grew up. It's food, right? It's how often you go out to eat. Maybe mom and dad didn't like to cook, and so you, you had a liturgy you grew up with was like, we go out to eat, that's what we do. And that has become normative and comfortable for you, or it's vacation frequency, fashion. Maybe for you, just after a while, you realize, like, I got a lot of shoes. How do I get so many shoes? But it's all just kind of subconscious. Or it's hats or it's bags. It's just acquiring, owning, collecting. I mean, some people have collections. They're very meaningful. But some people use the word collection, and really it's just hoarding, right? Just buying another one of those so that we can say we have it in a collection while it sits over there and doesn't actually enrich our lives or anybody else's lives, is really money not well spent, right? So we treasure something, and then that treasure trains our love in that direction, and that can become a problem when that is a direction that ignores the needs around us. And what should be normative Christian living starts to disappear because our, the liturgies are training our loves in the wrong direction. So Jesus has told us that where your treasure is, 
There your heart will be, full, will be also. So he says, store up for yourself. Make the choice of what you will treasure. Use your money. Use your time. Use your possessions. Use your intention to create new liturgies that will retrain your loves. You will become more Christ-like till eventually the instinct, the habit, will be Jesus-shaped. This is challenging for us because we live in a culture of consumerism. We love shopping, whether that's online or an actual kind of physical space. This, for many, is a feel-good space. And for some of us, it's our temple we worship at and donate our money to, so we have a sense of meaning. There's a whole religious thing that's associated with this within our culture. Some of the beliefs of this religion are of consumerism are, one, I'm broken, and shopping will make me better, will make me whole. I shop, therefore I am. I have value in this culture as a consumer. And I shop with others, therefore I belong. Which is, is interesting. Because others play a role in our shopping, whether we know it or not. <clears throat> Some of us make it a social thing to shop with others. But other, others of us are saying, no, I shop by myself. I just like to go buy stuff by myself. But what's interesting is what sometimes drives us subconsciously to go and acquire more is our addiction to comparison with others. That particular item is only of value to me because I've seen somebody else with it or because I haven't seen someone else with it and wait until they see me with it. And if I was the only, only person on the planet, that item wouldn't matter to me. <clears throat> it's not necessary for me, for my joy. In this world, it's only important to me because of comparison with others. So this is ironic. Because even as I go to acquire something on my own, I'm doing so because I need others to know I have it. And so it becomes a weird social dynamic. Because I need you to be close enough to know that I have it so that I can compete with you for status through object and then beat you at the game which pushes you away. I need you to come close so I can push you away with my status. It's a strange thing consumerism does for us. It's pseudo-community. And it never really pays off. But it's this having a bad day, go shopping. Shopping can be connected to healing in some way. But it's a pseudo-healing. It's fake. We need a new liturgy. We need a new family to train us. And that's what church is at its best. The church is a place where we are reminded to be content with what we have. That's what Hebrews 13.5 says. Amazing verse. We got it up here, I think. Yeah. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Ouch. Don't you wish those words were never penned? Be content with what you have. That gets me. Let's say it together, shall we? Ready? Here we go. Be content with what you have. Let's say it again with conviction. What do you say? Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So it's not just I don't need it. It is that I'm so excited to be partnering with God. I'm so filled up with the presence of God and how we are partnering throughout the day that I can be content with what I have. The Christ-centered liturgies are kind of a recalibration of our hearts. And these liturgies may seem very ordinary. But here's the thing. Some of us have a habit of looking for God only in the extraordinary. I want a vision. 
I want a sign. I want to hear a voice. God, speak to me. But God has promised to be with us all the time. That means even in the ordinary stuff. God's with you in the ordinary, speaking to you in the ordinary. Our goal is just to wake up and be attuned to it. So, so here's a few good liturgies of love when you're shopping. Okay? As you're shopping, simply talk to Jesus. Ask him to show you, does this help me love better? Hey, Jesus, does this help me love better? And sometimes, yes, you'll purchase something that you really just is for you, and it'll recharge your batteries, it gives you joy, and you'll go and love better. It's great. But before you make the purchase, talk to God, that's all. Invite Jesus into the moment. Give yourself a space to listen to a different liturgy. Second one, give generously and regularly. I am convinced that regularly giving money away, yes, to the church, but beyond, is a new retraining liturgy to help us reverse the polarity of the acquire-to-live mentality of our culture. When I talk about give generously and regularly, does that mean tithe or what? Good question. So, some say tithing, it's in the Bible, we obey it, just do it. It's in the Bible, the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it, let's do it. Others say, yeah, but it's in the Old Testament, so we should ignore it. I think in everything that we discern from Scripture, tithing is like training wheels for radical generosity. It's a starting point. It's a way of saying, I'm going to make a bare commitment to giving. At first it's awkward, it's hard, but then it, it starts to train your loves. Third one, clothe yourselves with Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's something you do to train your heart. Clothe yourself. You're responsible. Get dressed. He specifically says get dressed with Jesus in Romans. And I love how he uses clothing. Jesus speaks about clothing in Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And it's an example of how we can worry about the stuff of life, appearance, having enough. It wasn't really a worry in Jesus' day. It's definitely not a worry in our day that I actually don't have anything to wear. When you open your closet and say, I don't have anything to wear, it's not true. That's a liturgy you've been trained in. You can retrain the liturgy. He talks about simplicity, even in our relationship with material goods like clothing. Paul picks up on that and says, well, let's think about clothing yourselves as a deliberate activity getting dressed with Jesus and the qualities of Christ. So we said we're going to make this practical. So here's your homework for this week. Very specific, very practical. Like last week, uh, set your daily alarm just 10 minutes early. Then rather than reaching for your phone or, or another device first to catch up on social media, news, email, reach for your Bible. Read and meditate on a different verse this week. Colossians 3, 12, and 14. It's the one we just read. It says, clothe yourselves with these qualities of Christ. And read through the list. Then pray when getting dressed. So now we're going to take this idea of clothing and we're going to actually use it as a memory tool throughout the day. So when you get dressed, begin to pray through the list. 
and ask Jesus to bend your desires today towards what he desires. Ask him to shape your love and your longings. As you put on each article of clothing, you pray for compassion, kindness, humility. These are the ones you've been meditating on in Scripture. Gentleness, patience. And you start to think about the people in your life and the situations in your life, where you're going to need these different things. Then throughout the day, whenever you become aware of your clothing, think back on who you really are and want to become more of in that moment. So a few times a day, you will think about your clothing, right? You'll have to tie your shoelaces. You'll have to adjust something. Every time you think about your clothing, touch your clothing, let that be a memory tool for the day to think back on the qualities you prayed about that morning. See, Jesus, I want to continue to put you on right now, to wear you, let you retrain my love. How can I be that in this moment, right here, right now? Because he's with you all the time in the normal, ordinary things of life. We're just often unaware of it. This can retrain us, and Jesus can be our mentor. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. If the ministry team wants to come on forward, I'll pray. Then if you'd like prayer for any reason, they're going to be up here ready to pray for you. This is an area of, of challenge for you. They'd love to pray for you. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you, and I'm so glad that you've given me and the rest of this community that uh, you've just given yourself to us, that, we can, that you can retrain us on how to live life, can give us new and fresh priorities. Pray that together in this family we will have a, a sense of communal unity as we practice these liturgies of love this week. Even when we're by ourselves, I pray that we will have a sense of togetherness of the wider family, the body of Christ, the church. I ask that you would give us a fresh awareness of your Holy Spirit with us, Lord. The ways that you are present with us. And we would be shaped by that awareness. So that as we turn our, the, the, the treasure of our money, our, our purchasing power, our attention, our time towards eternal things, our hearts would be reshaped. We look forward to our time this week with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.